Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your genes. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, Nathan Waters talks about creating a better world with peerism. But first up, here's the news about adaptive lenses. Automated glasses. A team at the University of Utah has created smart glasses with liquid-based lenses that can automatically adjust to focus on what you're looking at, whether it's far away or close up. 60% of people need vision correction and everybody suffers from presbyopia as they start aging over the age of 40. The lens in your eye becomes less flexible and your vision will need correction. People often have to take off their distance glasses to see things close up, and vice versa, unless they use multifocal glasses. Multifocal glasses have narrow limitations on where you can look to see clearly. So for example, the lower part of the glasses are dedicated to close-up vision, which means you can't clearly see the stairs you're walking down. These new glasses promise vision that's always clear. The new lenses are made from a membrane that holds glycerin, a clear viscous liquid. The back of the membrane is moved by a piezoelectrically controlled piston that pushes the membrane forwards or backwards to change the curvature of the lens. Changing the shape of the lens changes the focus. The frames hold the electronics and battery to power and control the piezoelectric actuator that pushes on the lens. Over your nose in the bridge of the frames is a sensor that measures the distance between the glasses and the nearest object in a straight line, using pulses of infrared light. The lenses can change focus from one object to another in 14 milliseconds. The battery in the frames is designed to last more than 24 hours on a single charge. The first time you use the glasses, you calibrate them with your prescription by using a special phone app that talks to the glasses using Bluetooth. The glasses were demonstrated this year at the Consumer Electronics Show CES in Las Vegas. The company Sharper Eyes has been started to commercialise the glasses. These glasses don't sense your actual gaze or vision, so when your vision changes as you get older, you'll still need to see an optometrist to get a prescription to tell your phone to tell the frames to change the shape of the lenses. But you theoretically won't need new glasses. I'd like to see adaptive glasses that monitor your eyes and change the focus so that you can see clearly without any need to enter a prescription from an optometrist. And all adaptive glasses should have a zoom function. A previous team built a pair of glasses using adaptive lenses also with a clear liquid in a membrane, but with little syringes on each earpiece so that people in developing countries could tune the focus of the lenses without an optometrist, and then remove the syringes to use the glasses. Before that, 
Another company had pairs of lenses in each half of the glasses frames so that you could slide them over each other with a thumb dial. This would let you work out your prescription without visiting an optometrist for those in developing countries where optometrists are few and far between. You'd then send the reading from the thumb dials to a lens maker to make your final glasses. A Silicon Valley startup has also been working on adaptive glasses that are based on changing the refractive index of liquid crystal lenses electronically. The University of Utah's paper was titled Tunable Focus Lens for Adaptive Eyeglasses and published in the journal Optics Express. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. And next up, entrepreneur and futurist Nathan Waters explains how to build a better society through an economy focused on connecting people's skills with tasks where they are needed. Nathan is the founder of Peerism, a blockchain-based project to build this new economy. He visited my home studio, and I began by asking him, Peerism, what does that mean? Well, Peerism has a lot of moving parts. So everyone kind of wants to build a post-capitalist system. You know, Every man and his dog has a, a new economy plan, a new proposal. And so it really comes back down to where do you start? What's the very first thing in order to transition to a better world? I mean, you've got things like the Venus Project and you've got all these massive utopian idealistic visions, but very rarely do they ever have a first step. You know, where do we start? What do we have right like today? And then where do we go to next? So with Peerism, it's really about focusing in, entirely on income and jobs. I mean, the average person, they don't really care too much about all the economic ideologies and philosophies and political ideologies and philosophies and all of that. They just care about how do I make an income? How do I find purpose to provide for myself and my family and better my life? Which is a little bit individualistic. I mean, we should be a much more cooperative, collaborative society, but I mean, that's that's what we live in. So, Pearson is really about focusing on how do we provide a parallel economic system that can give people income and purpose, particularly with the rise of automation taking away that income and purpose. So there's a lot of places in which to start. So what, what I think we're, we're working on, what the strategy is with Peerism is to essentially quantify people's skill sets to begin with so that we can have an economy that matches work to them that they can kind of one-click claim. So we need to really make it an economy where everyone's a freelancer. So everyone's their own boss. We remove the employee-employer relationship and we remove the idea of, of jobs, which I think are a little bit like slavery. No one really likes them. Wage slavery, all that sort of thing. And yeah, so the, so the way we do that is we need to quantify skill sets by essentially turning every single skill into its own cryptocurrency, which sounds bizarre to start with. It's like, why, why are you making more cryptocurrencies? And really, it comes down to the fact that our economy right now, doesn't, it doesn't know your diversity of skill sets and interests because they're, they're qualitative aspects rather than quantitative aspects. Uh, if you work 40 hours a week as an accountant at one job in one company, sure, you have a, you have a qualification, a university degree in accounting, and you have a job role, a job title, and you have a salary, but it doesn't really say a whole lot about all your other passions and interests. Um, and it's very homogenous, uh, which makes us much more resilient to automation. 
So if that, that accountant is automated, which is you know one of the, the lowest hanging fruits of automation, what do they do? They have to go back to university, do another four-year degree, become another type of profession, maybe a lawyer, maybe that gets automated, rinse and repeat. Uh, so instead, how do we create an economy where our diversity of skill sets are quantified and ranked in such a way that any task that comes into the system, can into the economy, can automatically be routed to the right person at the right time? So instead of trying to distribute resources the way the economy has sort of traditionally been planned or if you believe in the free market has sorted out resources to where they need to go you're looking at human resources going where they need to go uh yeah definitely so it's all about building a peer-to-peer economy with no no top-down control no top-down centralization or hierarchies or or top-down coordination it's really about building a yeah, like a peer-to-peer economy, a peer-to-peer marketplace where skills and and tasks are, are connected. So tasks come into the economy from any any platform on this decentralized protocol. They're then automatically matched to the right person um, who can get that job done. No middleman, just a, an automated system in the middle that's not built on the blockchain. So how do people afford to put tasks out that will collect the people with the right skills to do that task? So to begin with, it'll be it'll operate much like any freelancer network or, or work platform or like Upwork and, and things like this um, with the key difference being that it's a decentralized platform. So the data isn't all stored on one particular place and the skill tokens, these cryptocurrencies, are transferable across any other, any other platform that's plugged into this protocol. So to begin with, some of the jobs will be paid tasks. Most of the network will be more of a... a a kind of like peer-to-peer education system, be like a social network, because the way to work from the average the average worker's perspective is they will essentially join any of these these apps or these these platforms that are using the the peerism protocol. They will then follow their their interests and their skills. These communities a bit like subreddits, or they'll create their own ones. So, for example, if you're really good at you know logo creating logos design marketing but maybe also some photography and maybe you might be interested in 3d printing as well you would follow all of those communities and you'd start off at level zero like everyone else but then it becomes like a, a, a role-playing game like a jobs rpg i used to call it where you level up by earning those tokens for engaging in those communities and you you end up with essentially like a ranking of all your different skill sets with actual quantities actual numbers attached to them so you might have you know nine thousand you know, logo tokens, uh, 5,000 3D printing tokens, 2,000 photography tokens, etc. Um, and so what can happen then is anyone who needs a task, whether they're willing to pay for it or not, um, they would put that task request out. And if they want to match it to a higher level person, they have to pay more. So it's really about encouraging people to pay more to match themselves to higher skilled people rather than the current issues of you know, sites like Freelance and Upwork where it's a bidding war to the bottom. So that there would be no bidding in this in this system. It essentially matches you directly to the person who can get the task done. So I'm still not clear where you get the money from if you want a task done. So you're earning cryptocurrency when you do a task, when you use your skills and your skill level goes up so that you can earn more next time, ultimately. So do you have to use that same... The money, do you have to use the cryptocurrency, the money that you've earned through doing tasks to commission tasks? Is that how it works? 
so all the cryptocurrencies are floating. They will be floating cryptocurrencies, meaning that um, they'll have their own value, just like Bitcoin and Ethereum. They're floating against the US dollar and you can convert them between either like through exchanges through to any other currency you want. So for example, the, the logo skill currency would be its own floating cryptocurrency. So as an example, if the uh, logo tokens are currently worth, you know, five Australian cents and someone puts through a task for 50 Australian dollars, then essentially that equates to a thousand logo tokens. So the, the user at the other end that it gets matched to, the worker at the other end, they can, they can see both. They can see, okay, it's a $50 Australian task. Do you want to do it now? Yes. Um, but at the same time, they also earn those thousand logo tokens. And so when they successfully do the task um, and they, they chat to the, the employer and they complete it, they get the 50 Australian dollars. And so they can immediately either decide to pull that out and, you know, essentially they've got $50 or they can stay invested in logo tokens essentially and keep all their money. It'd be like cryptocurrency now where you stay invested in, you know, Ethereum or Bitcoin or something like that. And so they can stay invested in that community and, you know, maybe the value of the logo tokens goes up, maybe it goes down, but it's, it means they're kind of invested in that community and they can see where it goes. So the incentive for people in the, doing the tasks is that they'll get a method of getting paid yep. and they'll get a method of getting paid more the more experience and skill that they demonstrate. So what's the incentive for employers who aren't already in the system to join the system seeing as at the moment they've got all the power, they can fire you and they've got a power relationship with their employees. What do they get out of it? <laughs> That's a good question. So this whole idea is really based on really flipping the two-sided marketplace so that the focus of the business model is really on the worker and not the employer. Because you look at all these other platforms out there, uh, these gig economy platforms, they pay in extremely little. I saw a report come out today saying that 85% of the workers are earning less than $500 a month. So they're clearly not some, you know, the way the model they're working on now is not going to create a new economy. It's gonna, it's just a purely side gig thing. So what you need to do is is... A few things, Remo remove the bidding process to the bottom. So have a system where it's just, it matches to the right user. They can one click claim it and then have a system where the more people are willing to pay, the higher they get matched to someone with those skills. And so, yeah, definitely in the beginning, it's probably, it probably doesn't align to most of the traditional outsourcing type mentality where, you know, a, a typical employer at a corporate corporation wants to outsource to the lowest you know, cost, usually in third world countries. That's probably won't work in this system which is why it's going to end up being a quite a different type of type of model and type of economy because I think the majority of the, the the use case on the platform on this economy will be users learning from each other and growing these communities and that's why the, the cryptocurrency concept is really good because you can use that to incentivize behaviors you want in the beginning you know particularly when you're trying to get that ball rolling and that that virality of a community so someone can come along Create a community from scratch, start at level zero. They can build a community and then learn from each other, build it into this kind of little micro economy where, you know, they've got this, the tokens have gone from being worth nothing to maybe, you know, five cents, 10 cents, a dollar, $10, $20. And as it grows, that kind of empowers that, the, that community to help each other essentially, but then also build up their skill sets to the point where they kind of have this like big network effect where employers will want to hire you know, from them because that's where all the skills are and you can actually quantifiably see, you know, a, a ranking of all the skill sets within that, that micro community. So it sounds like there's a really big role for human resources people to be able to correctly help you identify the skills that you should be getting identified in the system. Yeah, yeah. So, well, 
One, one of the challenges we're trying to work out is how do you essentially do like a proof of skill in a decentralized system? It's a big open source collaborative project and we've got a lot of people working to help bank this thing a reality and there's still a lot of challenges so one of the big challenges is how do you take something that's very qualitative you know if someone says i've spent 20 years as a java developer and i've worked on a thousand projects how do you convert that into a number i don't think you really can when you compare it to someone else who says you know i've done 10 years of java development or or two years or whatever it's it's way too qualitative and the same thing with like linkedin endorsements they mean nothing i mean if someone if someone endorses you it means nothing so how do you do a system where People's skills are quantified, not qualified, but also those those skills are transferable across platforms. So one of the other problems with our entire education system right now is that your qualifications and your badges are not transferable or recognized across different countries and across different platforms. You know, if you earn a doctorate degree in India, it's not recognized in Australia or the US. If you earn a badge on Khan Academy, it's not recognized on, on Udemy or any of those things. So we have to do a cryptocurrency-based model, which is decentralized, can be transferable, and where the number of tokens you've earned for that particular skill set is that kind of represents your skill level. So if yeah, if you've earned nine thousand three D printing tokens for doing tasks for people over the years, then that's your level, and then that's how we can compare you against other users. So, how is this different from economic? I can see that employer-wise, it's different. Yeah. But economically, it still seems like people are spending and earning money. So isn't it still just a different form of capitalism? Uh, yeah, definitely. So it's, that's the big thing. It's like it's transitionary. <laughs> I mean, we, we're, not, we're not doing something where like there's, there's so many uh, economic ideologies out there. There's one that's really popular is like gifting economy. There's a lot of like post money, you know, post scarcity type models. And sure, they're definitely something we all want to work towards. We want to work towards the Star Trek economy where money is kind of irrelevant. But I mean, right now, if we just introduced an economy that says, have at it, like, you know, there's no money in this system, good luck. People, people, like, people won't understand, it'll blow their minds. So we have to have a system where it leverages the current, the current system of money and capitalism and the profit drive, because that's, that's huge. That's what drives so many people to go and get, you know, higher paying jobs to win against other people and create startups and all this other stuff. So, by leveraging the profit incentive of people chasing these skill tokens. And because you, you want to actually, you want to earn these tokens. It's the same way as when you buy into Bitcoin and Ethereum, these other cryptocurrencies early on, because you hope that they will go up in value so you can become a multimillionaire. <laughs> that's, that's one of the core drivers of why people are doing these things. So if we can leverage that to encourage people to chase skills and knowledge and the sharing of those skills and knowledge versus purely just chasing fiat money for the sake of it, I think eventually what we'll get to is a point where money essentially becomes irrelevant. Once people have enough of it, then it's more about proving your skills against each other and competing against against each other on who has the best skills, the best knowledge, um, and who can help create collaboratively these you know awesome projects that are much better than what's existing now. So we end up with a big scoreboard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, people, and you also get some currency for sharing your knowledge. Yeah, so something we're trying to work out is when you request tasks for paid money, like when you request a $50 task, you know, we all understand that. That's the same as outsourcing. But we want to have something in place where you can do the same thing where you request kind of help from your peers. I mean, so a big part of this this platform, this, this economy is really decentralized learning as well and peer-to-peer education because you can't possibly, for a future world, you can't possibly 
have a curriculum for every single possible skill and task you can imagine. This, this is why universities struggle now. This is why their curriculums are already 10 years behind and they can't keep up. So we need a system where individuals just pursue their own self-interest, their own interests, their own passions, and they learn from each other. So we could have a system where the best people to learn from are really your kind of indirect peers. So people who are just a little bit more advanced than you are probably the best person to learn from. You don't want to be learning from the Einsteins in your particular skill set because typically they're so far ahead that you can't understand them when they talk to you. You want to learn from someone who's just done the same type, type of task and skill, but they're a little bit ahead. So we can have a system in place where using that same request model for paid tasks, you could have a system that you can request help from someone with similar skill sets, just a little bit ahead. And then by doing so, both of you earn tokens. So what's your pitch to people that are politically opposed to any changes to the current system? They like being in charge. They like getting wealthier and wealthier and everyone else not. So how do you pitch it to them so that they support you? Because after all, if you're a startup, you need investment capital. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So... Oh, I always try to avoid politics with talking about purism, but but because it, it always goes into so many different unexpected tensions. But at the same time, it is like if you're trying to create a new economy, there is lots of political aspects involved. So, <laughs> so in purism itself, it's so phase phase one is really all about quantifying people's skill sets. Phase two is then creating a bot marketplace that is commons owned, so nobody can own the essentially the the automations, the AI. Um, and then the process of those those bots solving tasks automatically as they come in gets shared out as a basic income. Politically, it's it's really hard to pin down what purism is. I've, I've been calling it social decentralism because that seems to be the nicest phrase that doesn't piss off anyone too much. <laughs> because there's, there's definitely aspects of capitalism within purism. There's definitely aspects of communism. There's aspects of socialism. There's as- aspects of libertarianism. And there's aspects of anarchism. Like, it's everything. You can pick a little bit from everything and it all matches into this one system because it's it's leveraging people's desire to make profit and leveraging that incentive to make profit. It's it's leveraging common ownership and, you know, the means of production. It's leveraging the fact that uh, in this system, there are no top-down hierarchies. There are no corporations. There is no centralized institutions like governments or educational institutions. And... There is a, a social aspect to it as well because you need to have a, almost like a social protection floor built in so that people aren't just you know competing for scraps. There, there needs to be some type of decentralized basic income built into this system and, that, that's, and that's the plan. So I think one of the big things that we're really basing this whole concept on is that automation is going to run away quicker than people expect. You look at the pace and progress of AI and robotics and, and general automation in general and I think we're definitely going to hit a point where jobs that will be replaced far faster than new ones are created, particularly white collar jobs, which are always purported as being the safe jobs. You know, when we talk about automation, we always think, oh, the factory workers will be the first to go. I actually think the first to go will probably be white collar workers. If you're in front of a computer screen for most of the day, all you need to do is have a general purpose AI that watches what you do on the screen all day and just learns from millions of people doing the same thing and can completely automate your job out of existence. And so what we're really betting on is this will be the catalyst for change. So there'll be a brief moment of time very soon within probably, you know, within a decade, around a decade, where jobs will be start being automated so quickly that it'll create civil unrest and kind of social unrest globally. And then there'll be a short window of time between when that happens and start snowballing and when governments finally cave and, and introduce the basic income. 
and a basic income will be will be great. I think it would be revolutionary for humanity. My big issue with it, a, a basic income issued by a central government is that it creates the potential for future political leaders to manipulate the entire population and control the type, entire population because all they need to do is lower or raise the basic income to control the overwhelming majority of the, of the, of the civilization. So we need a decentralized basic income, but how do we pay for it? We need to basically control and own the, the automation, the AI, collectively and share that wealth. And so there's only going to be a brief window of time within which I think we can do that. And that's, that's really the catalyst for change to this new economic system. Well, there's a lot more to talk about with basic income some other time. But Nathan Walters, thank you very much. Awesome. Thanks for having me. That was Nathan Waters talking about creating a new economy with peerism using blockchains. Nathan is also the founder of Sid Ethereum, a monthly Ethereum meetup, and previously Hackagong, which is one of Australia's largest hackathon competitions. You can find Nathan on YouTube, on Futawe, or the Hive 45 channel. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to hear your own voice on radio? Record a voice memo on your phone or use the voicemail tab on the website. We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. Send me your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. And please do send me an email so I know you're listening and you'd like to hear more episodes. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. Support the show at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. And a big thanks to the people who have become my patrons. The news music was Rhinos theme by Kevin McLeod of incompetech.com. Checking production was Charles Willock. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 27 stations on the community radio network, including 2RBM in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales, 8CCC in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2MVR in Nambaka Valley, and 3MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website www.diffusionradio.com that's www.diffusionradio.com and check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than 900 previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Subscribe to the Diffusion YouTube channel at youtube.com slash c slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio.